eyes peeled, everyone. It's time for the full 10 Yards College Football Podcast. Hello and welcome to the full 10 Yards College Football Podcast. Well, lads, we made it. It's the end of the season. It's bowl season. Obviously, we just come off our championship weekend, which is what we'll be discussing on tonight's podcast going through. Well, try and touch on all of them at least a little bit, but concentrating on some of the bigger ones. And uh, I'm sure Liam will give us a shout out for his smaller ones, um, as, as always, been keeping us up to date with those. Um, in fact, no, we'll start with that, actually. Liam, obviously, you um, put out your championship article that came out on Friday. Just walk us through a little bit of that for those who haven't read it and also talk us through kind of where you went wrong, where you went right a little bit without spoiling all the fun of the rest of the podcast. Yeah, well, we had, we had 10 conference championship games uh, ready to go, didn't we? And then one cancelled the Sun Belt between Louisiana and Coastal. And uh, yeah, in, in the article, we went I went through the, the games one by one, quick kind of keys to victory, and then decided to um, stick a prediction on the end of each one, which after the first night looked like a terrible decision as I went 0-3, um, but recovered went ended six and three um the we had the uh uh the mac game was probably the one where i i kind of wish i could have flipped because i've been supporting ball state all season and then decided that buffalo were going to be too strong for them and then um ball state played really well won the turnover battle um yeah sorted them out and won the mac um and then uh on from that uh we'll we'll go through the games as as uh, as the episode goes on do you wanted to give uh, San Jose State, just before we get started, do you want to give them a bit of a shout-out? Because obviously you repped them last week and then they uh, came up trumps for you with the upset. Yeah, we've had um, we've had a good time with the the small the small schools, uh, haven't we, this year? And um, San Jose State winning the Mountain West against the, the mighty Boise State, who are the, the powerhouse of, of that conference. And San Jose State running the table, it took them to a 7-0 season and their first... Um, conference title ever um, beating Boise State 34-20 um, my guy Nick Starkle who I'm liking more and more I liked him at Texas A&M um, and uh, yeah he threw 453 yards three touchdowns Boise State totaled only three yards rushing by the end of the game so San Jose State's defense really sorted them out mm. and uh, yeah 14 point win for San Jose State well done them yeah, so quite a convincing one, not exactly just squeaking out on a last-minute field goal or anything like that. 14, pretty convincing win. Yeah, really, really good. Well, well done to the Spartans. I uh, I didn't watch the whole game, I watched highlights, but well done to them. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, no, maybe we'll make that more of a feature next year, as we mentioned last week with you, kind of keeping tabs of the, the smaller schools for us. Yeah, between all of us, obviously Coastal became the story, and it's a shame their game got cancelled. It would have been a good one against Louisiana and the Sun Belt. And um, uh, Marshall as well, we shouted out, although their season kind of dipped. Um, But yeah, overall, yeah, good stuff from the little teams. Yeah, definitely. How long may it continue? Um, Don't know if it will, because obviously COVID's had a bit of an impact on the amount of games, the spotlight, the ranking, things like that, whether it will continue to be like that, we will see. But yeah, no, good to get those guys in the sun um, a little bit more often than they have been in the past. I'm going to start us off actually in the main games. Um, obviously on Friday night, we had the Pac-12 Championship, which is very much my domain. 
Um, we had Oregon taking on number 13, USC, and in true Pac-12 fashion, uh, it wasn't the favoured team that, that won it. I said this to on Saturday morning after the game and after I'd watched it to Ollie Hodgkinson, who's one of the college chaps. Um, we had a bit of a chat about this one and just saying that it's typical Pac-12, isn't it, to eat itself alive even in the championship game with two teams who you know, didn't really have any playoff aspirations or anything like that. I know we talked about USC being on the outside or some people did at least, but not really having a proper chance. But and in, in typical, again, kind of going even further, typical fashion that USC gave Oregon a 14-point head start, really just straight off the bat in the first quarter. Uh, Slovis, who had a bit of an up-and-down game, which has been indicative of his uh, season, really, in, in some ways, threw three picks overall in the game and, and one really early on to Lenore, um, a corner that I really like out of Oregon, actually. Um, but yeah, that kind of got his night off to a... Uh, a slow start and that kind of was the way of it early on and they never really recovered after that the teams just exchanged touchdowns and field goals all the way through the game but um, Oregon with that with that head start kind of got ahead but not a fluid game by any stretch of the imagination five turnovers in total few fumbles a couple of interceptions oh sorry one interception from Tyler Shuck on the Oregon side of things and like I said before three for three for Slovis so I, wouldn't, I don't even know if say a defense is on top, really. I think it was just poor offensive play. Um, and, you know, Slovis is one of these that we were talking up a lot in the early parts of the season, like beforehand, but had a bit of a wobble, not really lived up to the heights of his freshman season. So who we want to watch next year? Um, but a couple of really nice performances on the defensive side of things. As I said, maybe not defenses on top, but certainly some defensive players playing really well. Um, a play that we'll be looking at for our pass rushing and our edge um, rankings next year. Kayvon Thibodeau, um, really dominated, really. And we've been talking up um, Elijah Vera Tucker on the podcast quite a lot. And it was quite a titanic battle with those two. I think there's been some good reps for Vera Tucker uh, to go into the draft, se- draft season. Um, you know, I'm not saying he won every rep, but he did pretty well. But Thibodeau definitely had a you know, couple of reps that he won as well. But it's still one of these things where sometimes these teaching tapes they can tell us a bit more about the prospect rather than just dominating and see him come up against one of if not the best pass rusher in the pack 12 and having some good reps is, is kind of another notch in his corner as well as Thibodeau's to be honest with you and um, another player that we've kind of talked about a little bit on the podcast maybe not as much as he should be but uh, Talanova, Talanova Hufanga had a pretty good game couple of sacks couple of tackles for loss um, and just looked like a really really busy player back there I'm really looking forward to getting into him after the season finishes um, but yeah, as we said, Oregon took it and a bit of a messy one, but um, yeah, completely kind of messed up the playoff, although outside playoff chances of USC, obviously it wouldn't have happened anyway with the way that all the other bowl games, uh, sorry, all the other championship games went, sorry, I'm a week ahead there of talking about bowl games. Um, but Andy, I'll bring you in on this just really briefly. I know that you've been talking up Slovis and kind of keeping your eye on USC a little bit, but he was a bit disappointing with this one, wasn't he? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I thought that, um, just going back to Vera Tucker, I thought the, the snaps where, unsurprisingly, the snaps where he, he lost were the, the, the ones where Slovis <laughs> threw the pick, really. So it's quite indicative that, that um, you know, Slovis's ability to uh, sense that pressure might not be there and there was that kind of uh, sense to it early on for me. But then when Vera Tucker seemed to uh, click into, into place and, and start winning a, a tackle, then that's when USC started to move the ball a bit better as well. So I, I, mean, I think with Slovis, I think he just needs to improve his escapability a bit more. And, and we said it with Kyle Trask throughout the year, and mm. it's all in, you know that the legs are gonna are gonna limit his his potential. And for Slovis, that seems to 
like be shining through a little bit on tape for me right now, just not really getting out of the pocket as much as uh, you'd expect him to. And, and I think he was doing it a bit more last year than, than he has done this year. So just, yeah, like you say, one to watch. I'm still really high on him. I think it, once he gets into his stride, he, he moves the ball and, and really dictates the, the the sway of the game. But um, yeah, I, that's the second or third week in a row now. Probably, I think third week in a row where he's come out throwing an early pick mm. uh, and then had to do all the work to claw it back rather than game managing. So um, yeah, up and down. He's putting some good passes on tape, but then some, some bad decision making as well. So, yeah, like you say, interesting one to watch. Um, but like Vera Tucker, still think he's looking uh, fantastic. And I thought um, St. Brown as well, the, the couple of nice grabs. And I think he's mm-hmm. waiting for a touchdown as well for, like, to, to kick off. Did he go for a touchdown? I think he did. It was yes. like Saturday morning, yes. seems a long time ago now. But uh, <laughs> a, a Dolphins win over the Patriots for, for you in there as well, Kieran. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, uh, it was actually like the, a really good start to the bowl games, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll go across the, the board, obviously, throughout the episode. But um, just it just reminded me on Saturday morning why these games are some of the best of the season because they're a bit better than your standard blowouts and you get a bit more a bit more back and forth, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And we were saying just before we came on, didn't we, that it was generally pretty good standard of um, competition across the board, uh, barring the ACC Championship, which we'll get in and on to hopefully when Rob will join us. We're in a touch late this, this evening as we record. But yeah, I, I agree. St. Brown looked pretty decent. And I thought um, Drake London as well looked really good, always fighting for extra yards. Um, when he when he got his grabs, the Oregon player seemed to surround him, but he just seemed to always just fall forward or turn out a couple of extra yards. So yeah, no, really good. And I think that call moving forward offensively isn't you know they're going to lose obviously St Brown, they'll probably lose Tyler Vaughan's, but they're going to have a lot going forward with Slovis and, and Drake London as well moving forward. So excited to see what USC can can do next year. Maybe some more games. Maybe Slovis hasn't gotten to stride fully yet. With obviously a late start to the season, obviously not too many games played in the Pac-12 overall, only the six, obviously. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll see much better even next year. But yeah, completely agree with what you're saying. Both players that we've kind of focused on there for USC um, did, did you know, really, really well and will be players to watch for the future. Um, maybe more on the Oregon guys later down the line as we come onto the corner. So I think their DBs played quite well. Like I said, Lenore, a player that I really like, but maybe more on him later on down the line. Um, Andy, I'll come back to you, actually, keep you involved. Um, you're going to talk about the SEC Championship. Yeah, I am indeed. And the uh, Paris uh, Championship game, I think we can call it, can't we? <laughs> Five yeah. touchdowns for him. <clears throat> three of them, uh, three of them like pass catches as well. Uh, and I thought, I don't know about you guys, I thought at some points he looked more like a tight end than a running back of the, getting that ball. And he's just massive, isn't he? And he's just uh, like, easily catching slant routes and taking it into the... End zone. So, what a game! Uh, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it might be dead and buried at halftime. Uh, they, they went in 35-17 uh, uh, up Alabama, but Florida played some really good uh, football in the third quarter. I thought they, they scored 14 unchecked and uh, and and shut out Alabama in the in the third quarter, um, and kept it tight right to the end. Really, so that that was another really good one to watch. And uh, I sat there and watched the watched the full game back on. Sunday morning, it was definitely worth doing so. I thought um, both Mac Jones and Kyle Trask showed why they're in the Heisman running. Um, they, you know, they both looked very calm under pressure. Um, I thought Trask actually used his feet for, for one of the, you know, that's one of the best times I've seen him getting outside the pocket and uh, extending plays that I've seen in his career so far. So maybe an element of uh, trying to silence the doubters there, but equally, maybe that's just the Alabama pass rush uh, forcing him out the pocket as well. Um, 
I thought Florida could have won the game really easy, but they were just a slight, like a couple of sloppy moments uh, where they kind of threw it away. I thought the the, the Trey Dean interception uh, of Jones was a really good play, but then seconds later, Devonta Smith just uh, with probably his play of the game uh, with the tackle and, and forced fumble there, um, and then the next the next play, uh, Jones hit Smith for the touchdown to extend that Alabama lead. So I thought there was uh, there was occasions where you know Florida could have easily turned the game on its head, um, but I also I also saw some hope for the likes of Notre Dame and Clemson and Co in in the playoffs in terms of a couple of weaknesses on Bama's defense. Obviously, Florida's loaded with offensive talent and, and Grimes, Pitts and Tony had a, a good game. Um, but there was a kind of, you know, there's a sense that Alabama's defence were there for the taking and not as fearless as, uh, sorry, not as, as, as uh, feared as they, they could be. Um, in fact, I thought uh, the play of the game for me, and I tweeted it out uh, on Monday, was was Trayvon uh, Grimes going up and, and I thought he embarrassed Pat Sertain on its points, turned him round and, and just and strolled in for the mm. touchdown. And that's you're going to be probably number one, number two corner for this year's class. And, and, and Grimes just like embarrassed him, really. That was a great throw from Trask as well. So, yeah, hope for the playoff teams. Mm, an offensive slugfest, really, wasn't it? Wasn't too yeah. much out there for either defence, really. And like you say, exposing a few flaws. Yeah. Trask really like stepped up in terms of because you've seen in some bigger moments this season he seemed to I don't want to say fold but he had looked a little bit flustered and maybe struggled to make a play which is why why I got so offended with the Joe Burrow comparisons because Joe Burrow was a guy who would just make plays happen but in this Alabama game he wasn't he wasn't the guy who would just tuck the ball and run when he didn't see a receiver he would dance around outside the pocket a bit and try and make something work and I think given that earlier in the season we didn't see that in him and that was one of the biggest concerns about him is that he couldn't make happen and see who this on the biggest stage against the one of the best defenses in college football i think really showed that he can be coachable and that really bodes well for him going on to the nfl mm, yeah for sure i think um he's going to get a lot of consideration isn't he with how he's played towards this, well, the whole season, really, actually not even just ruling out the, about to rule out the start of the season, but he's played well the whole season. Um, and like you say, utilise those playmakers that you got, Andy mentioned, the three main guys there. And they've been a, they've been a real breath of fresh air in the SEC um, this year. And they've really challenged Alabama. And it was the best two teams in the SEC. And it was a, it was a great game, great advert for it, to be honest with you. It was, it was an excellent game, for sure. Um, Kieran, we'll come to you next. We're going to take a step out of the Power Five for a second and your hometown team. Man, Cincinnati looked great, didn't they? I don't know who saw the game, but their defence really, really showed up. And I want to talk about one particular sequence because it was my favourite sequence of the entire game. There is, I think, Jarrell White, who is one of their linebackers, caught a big-time interception, and it looked like one of the interceptions you throw in NCAA 14, where he just had an insane vertical leap and snagged a ball out of midair. Then immediately on their first offensive, uh, offensive play after that, um, Desmond Ritter hit Alec Pierce for like a 40 yards or something to then set up um, Jerome Ford's rushing touchdown. It was a fantastic sequence, and in just three plays, they had put up seven more points, and they shut out uh, Tulsa in the first quarter. But after after that first quarter, Tulsa put up ten more points um, in the second quarter and scored every quarter since then. It was a real, real battle. Um, Cincinnati obviously won on the the field goal, but that was that just showed how good Luke Fickle is at managing the clock. He moved the, he moved his team 
down the field. He tried not to play too far out of the hashes, so it was easy for his kicker. Although the final run to try and center the ball went a bit too far outside, but it was a very makeable kick. I think even my grandmother could have made it. So, you know, he set him up for success there. It was a very good game. And one thing that I was surprised at is how well Tulsa dealt with the Cincinnati defense, because this is a, a defense that I've been talking about a lot, especially in the conference they're in. They've just been eating people up for breakfast. I mean, UCF is a team that's, you know, used to be in the powerhouse of this conference and the Cincinnati defense just really had them, you know, look uh, floundering. So, yeah, Cincinnati is a great win for them. Uh, disappointed they got bumped out of the playoffs because they deserve it more than other teams but it was just you know it was a it was a great game to watch and when you think about like the american conference and stuff you're not really used to seeing some high level football you're used to seeing high score lines and big blowouts from the dominating forces in that conference but this was just a fun game to watch i it was one of those games where i was on the edge of my seat the entire game i was like wow this could go either way because cincinnati would have a big play and then tulsa would stop him three times and they'd have to punt or they'd have to kick and it is because um, their kicker actually missed one field goal, which could have put them up um, early in the third quarter. But it was a very fun game to watch. And I think, man, I think Luke, Luke Fickle could make a case for coach of the year this year. I know it's not a normal year, but he has done so much. And I hope he stays in Cincinnati for another year or two to see if he can really build that program. But I would not be surprised if he gets offers from big name programs like Michigan and stuff like that. I think, you know, maybe probably wouldn't go there, but. I hope he stays in Cincinnati, but I would not be surprised if a power five team snaps him up to coach them because he has shown that he can recruit well, he can coach well. He was out there calling plays. Like he, he was looking great. Like he had that team firing. And when they came out in the second um second half, that, that team would have run for a wall for that guy. So it was really good performance by Cincinnati. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree, mate. Um it was a cowardly decision by the committee not to Stick him in there, unbeaten season. Obviously, you know, we've talked up the American quite a lot, I think, early doors as well. There's a great conference, you know, it's got some great teams and it's a tough road. You know, obviously, we talk about the SEC being, you know, absolutely stacked, but at a certain level, you know, the American's pretty much the same sort of amount of stackedness, let's say, if that's an expression, I don't think it is. But, um, you know, it's a tough gauntlet to have to run, you know, and to go 9 and 0 throughout that whole season is an achievement, to say the least. American has more teams, like more good teams than the Big Ten, I would say. Yeah, not because the same level. That's, that's got... exactly the point I was making. You're not the same level, but yeah, more sort of... Yeah, because I can see Cincinnati used to Tulsa all beaten like an Indiana or given Northwestern a run for their money, it, it, it'd be a tough game, but I feel like they're better, which is why I said in a few years, if, if Fickle can keep this up, it would be great to see Cincinnati move up to the Big Ten. Mm. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've mentioned that before, haven't we? Yeah, they mentioned uh, during the game that, you know, it's a shame they weren't able to play out of conference games against some Power 5 teams, because I think the implication is that they would have, there's a few teams in the American there that would have given a lot of Power 5 teams good games. Um I just want to give my final shout out to Cincinnati as a, someone that picked them at the start of the season uh, to win the American. Um, I didn't think they'd go 9-0 though. I didn't think they'd be that good. Uh, seriously good. And uh, to uh, Kieran's point in from uh, the point of view of uh, Luke Fickle and his um, future, they said during the podcast that his son has just committed 
to Cincinnati, which in terms of him staying is a very good sign. Mm. Uh, I don't think that he is probably uh, the easiest uh, recruitment talk he's had. Um, and it's uh, a good sign, I think, in terms of his future, because it's something that I thought of when they mentioned it, that, of course, he's going to be sought after as a head coach. But with his son uh, committing, I think that's a good sign for Cincinnati in terms of keeping him for a couple of years. Yeah, it's a really good point, Liam. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that. But, you know, he's not going to throw his son under the buses. You wouldn't think so. You know, getting to commit and then, uh, you know, pop off to Michigan or something like that. It's just connecting the connecting the dots there. I was thinking, well... Mm. Because, uh, you know, I, I know why Kieran's making the point. He's, he's going to be a name that's going to come up. Uh, but that's a, a, a good sign for Bearcats fans that he, he uh, got a good chance that he stays. Mm, I would say so, yeah. Kieran, I just want to bring you back in on a play that you mentioned very briefly, Alec Pierce. Like, this guy can play, can't he? He's a big, strong, fast receiver who wins a lot of jump balls as well. He's got a place in the league, right? Uh, I mean... He certainly looks like he could play for the Patriots. He's a white wide receiver. I think that's what they deal in. They, they take a guy off his his last shift at Walmart, take his uh, little blue apron off, and 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 suit him up on a Sunday. But no, he's he's actually a really good player. I'm really surprised because um, obviously I'd seen him make plays throughout the year, and he's built. Oh, who was who was the Stanford tight end who got drafted by the Seahawks and then dropped? He's built like him, so he's kind of built like a tight end, but not as heavy mm. um but yeah he's big six foot three dude and he can really go up there and d- on 50 50 balls he's amazing but he's, he's actually got speed as well downhill like it was just that one-handed catch he made after the turnover that it was a hell of a throw it was a hell of a catch and i was like damn this is gonna make people take notice of this kid i think yeah definitely got a place in the league and not just with the patriots i think he'd be like a really good um you know, six foot three, about two hundred and fifteen pounds. So he's not—he's not like built, built. He's almost built like a quarterback. But like, yeah, the dude can ball. He's extremely fast as well. Like, it's acceleration that gets me because he'll shake someone off pressing him at the line, and he's gone. There's just no catching this kid. And we saw that with a one-handed catch he made. He beat that. He beat the cornerback on the line and. As he came down, you just knew he was going to outmuscle the dude, and you could almost have called uh, defensive pass interference on him because he had hands all over him. But when he came down with that ball, he had a defender draped all over him like a wet towel on a house fire. It was ridiculous. So, absolute stellar play from Alec Pierce. And I think if he doesn't get a few looks, then t- you're going to walk away with a steal for him. I don't see him going any earlier than the sixth round just because of the conference he's in. And- his sort of stats and stuff. But I think any team would be happy to take him as like a late round pick and he could really show out in camp and maybe turn into a great wide receiver in the NFL. Maybe he could link his decision to Desmond Ritter if they both come out and they both come out. If not, they could both stay in and have another good year and build together a little bit. But who knows? I guess we'll be covering that next year um, as we move through. And we see them, like, like Liam said, you know, play some bigger teams when there's a, hopefully a bit more of a mixed fixture list next year. Um, to... Well, finish off the four of us. I don't know whether you know, we'll get Rob in to talk about the Notre Dame game. Hopefully we will. Liam, you're going to take us to the Big 12 for another another fun matchup, really, between um, our Iowa State and obviously Ohio State. And the band word for this uh, for this podcast after last weekend, last week's pod. Uh, but Iowa State and Oklahoma, mate, sorry. Yeah, you, you mentioned um, fun. Fun's the word with this one. It was a really fun one, uh, the Big 12 championship. Um, there were some fun plays and some stuff going on on the sideline as well. Yeah. Um, Matt Campbell, head coach of Iowa State, had a really, really good season. 
um, but uh, came up against Lincoln Riley, who's kind of the, the premier head coach, if you will, in that, that conference. Um, and uh, yeah, as I say, really fun one. First uh, drive kind of uh, set the tone for what was going to happen on uh, the sidelines. There was, a, a, I think, a harsh targeting call on Iowa State defensive back Ishim Young. Um, Spencer Rattler found, found Drake Stoops. He was taken out, I think, hard. it was a hard one, but it was fair. But uh, their targeting call, Ishim Young, was uh, thrown out of the game. I think that was a big... Uh, big play in terms of uh, how the game went going forward. Um, Spencer Rattler made some really fun throws in this game, especially in the first half. Um, he's obviously uh, improved um, as the season's gone on. And you forget about what a good uh, receiving group uh, Oklahoma got. They're good young receivers as well, likes of Marvin Mims, uh, James Hazelwood, I really like as well. Um, there was a um, nice um, first touchdown for Rattler. It was a, was a good drive. Um, there's some good plays in there there was a really nice punt by Oklahoma as well that was downed at the one it was like a fun watch and then uh the the, the incident came on the sideline with um uh with Matt Campbell getting upset about Oklahoma jumping uh off sides um I have to uh, shout out a couple of the um kind of leaders on the sideline uh, Jaquan Bailey and um Blake Clark um for calming Matt Campbell down um I liked it because I like the the kind of the show. Um, it shows the relationship between Campbell and his players. So that I think at one point Blake Clark was kind of massaging his shoulders, joking in his ear, getting him to calm down. And uh, it, it's, um, even though he was uh, swearing at the ref and uh, was lucky not to get flagged for a couple of things, I, I quite liked uh, watching that. What was going on uh, on the, the sideline? Um, by the time that Oklahoma had run up to a 17 nothing lead, Iowa State kind of woke up then. Um, uh, Brock Purdy started throwing much better. Um, he then tried Trey Norwood in the end zone, who has got quite a few turnovers this season, and uh, picked him off, kept it at 17 uh, nothing. Um, Purdy then uh, threw a touchdown to uh, tight end Charlie Kola, who, uh, if you're going to listen to our scouting podcast tomorrow, um, we'll go into him a bit more, but a really, really good target for Purdy. That was just before half time, got them on the scoreboard, but uh, there was still time uh, for Rattler to give Oklahoma another touchdown. Um, into the second half, it started to change. Purdy was making a few bad decisions, but uh, young running back Brees Hall came into the game uh, a lot more. They started to use him more by the third, and he got a couple of touchdowns himself, brought it back. Uh, to within three, a 24-21. Uh, they let Oklahoma get a field goal. Um, still, of course, uh, six down. It gives uh, Iowa State one more chance, but um, Purdy threw uh, another interception in the game that uh, ended the game. Uh, really good fun. Oklahoma win it in 27-21 and uh, another Big 12 championship. Mm. Is that six in a row now? Is it Five, I think, but it could okay. be six. But yeah, Lincoln Riley's uh, pretty dominant team. Right? They're dominating that, aren't they? And they've got better as the the season's gone on. Um, defensively, especially, really uh, sneaky good. I think they were averaging something like eighty yards against the run before the game. Brees Hall did start to open them up a little bit when the the comeback was on. Um, but yeah, Oklahoma deserved it. I think on balance. Mm. Yeah, a couple of obviously we've mentioned Brees Hall a fair bit over the past few weeks. Obviously, a couple of really young. 
playmakers. Marvin Mims has really caught my eye every time I switched on Oklahoma. And we've not mentioned the Big 12 on the pod that often. Mm. But I have watched the odd bit of Oklahoma here and there. And Marvin Mims has really impressed me when I've seen him. And he's only a freshman. He's only going to get better, obviously. Same with Brees Hall. We're going to be talking about these two guys when we're talking about the Big 12 a lot next year, I feel. Yeah, and I uh, last year I noticed Hazelwood a bit, and I really like watching him. But um, you're right, Mims has kind of taken over as the the go-to guy this season, and Rattler himself has improved as the season's gone on. It looked really good. There were some really nice throws um, when they were opening up their lead in the first half. Um, and yeah, the O line as well. So many of them that are younger guys. That uh, I mean, they're going to be even better next year. They're going to be. Uh, Offensively speaking, their offense is really going to be a unit to watch next year. They're going to be fun. Back to challenging for the top four, do you think? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think that, um, you know, especially, um, I think they even got placed in that top six in the end, didn't they? It's um, obviously uh, close to it anyway. Um, I think that you're improving on that. They're going to be in with a shout, definitely. Yeah, six. I was just looking at my phone. It's a tiny number on the screen that I was looking on my phone. That's what dropped the phone. Is <laughs> that via that massive bang? That's what I was. I thought, um, so. I thought you got shot. <laughs> yeah, fortunately not. Last little word on this this game. Um, Matt Campbell. Obviously, we've talked about Luke Fickle. Going to be another head coach who's really going to be talked up. Do you think he'll leave Iowa State? Do you think he's coming to the NFL? Do you think he's going elsewhere? I think that he might be. It'd be interesting if an NFL team comes in for him because how if. Like when I started to talk about the game then and I compared the two coaches, he's obviously doing well and has done really well. But then coming up against a premier, what I would call a premier coach in the conference in Lincoln Riley, I think Riley would be a name for the NFL and usually is. Um, I think Matt Campbell has got um, probably, I think, better suited to going to um, maybe a bigger uh, college team before an an NFL job. Um, But having said that, the job he's doing at Iowa State, I think he'll see... Uh, them as uh, like a, a job that he can take them even further forward mm. before he gets to the NFL. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. He needs a bit of a stepping stone because he's only just come on the scene as a name that we're talking about in these circles, isn't he, really, Matt Campbell? Perhaps he can take the Oklahoma job if Lincoln Riley comes to the Chargers or something like that. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe well, that's look, just me. His face on the sideline during this game. I don't think he wants to see Oklahoma <laughs> again. <laughs> no, probably not. Probably not. Um, Rob? Bring you in. Hello. Playing with hair on fire by looks things. Hello, boys. Yeah, I've got the, <laughs> uh, the YouTube fire going. Sorry I'm late. I've got a sick note. Um, oh, like Kieran two weeks ago and Liam last week, I have actually come prepared with an excuse. My wife was Christmas shopping. <laughs> it's got to be done 21st of December when we're recording, so it has to be done, doesn't it? Yeah, that's it. That is it. Yeah, no, last minute preps for obviously things change don't they in this country on a week-to-week yeah. basis so uh <laughs> couldn't help it sorry boys but i'm here now so uh yeah enjoying that just listen to the last five minutes of, of you lot chatting and it's uh seems like we're, we're good as always good as always absolutely yeah you've actually joined us at a really good time because we've actually talked about all the other bowl games apart from the acc I, well saying that mm. i don't know if that's joining at a bad time for you, you as a notre dame fan um yeah let's chat about that shall we <laughs> yeah go on yeah start us off start, let's go with that one 
Um, well, yeah, I watched until half time um, <laughs> because I'm a bit of a fickle fan, as you know, Lee. Uh, no, I listen. It was it was tough to watch, um, but I think expected. Um, I got really pissed off with someone on NFL UK Facebook yesterday uh, who was telling me that if Trevor Lawrence had started in the first game against Notre Dame at South Bend, that he'd have put up an extra thirty points. Jog on, mate. DJ Ugalongalele had 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 four hundred yards passing what do you reckon trevor lawrence is gonna have 700 yards and seven touchdowns jog on pal i mean i've got load i i, I love the fact that people in this country are starting to watch college and more and more college is fantastic it's in my opinion certainly this year it's been the most exciting thing to watch um but don't be educated i, I watched the game like the game was on listen at, like, to the podcast right yeah, exactly. Listen, I, listen, I don't think he's going to listen. I'll be honest. Um, my, my responses to him were, um, yeah, he, he's, he's not going to listen. But at the end of the day, it's you watch college football and, and I'll actually watch it. Don't just like the whole Trevor Lawrence thing just pisses me off because, it, yeah, he might have made some key, more key throws in that first game. But at the end of the day, they had a good quarterback playing. Yes, he was a freshman, but it wouldn't have been that much difference. Notre Dame's defense was unbelievable again. Wasn't the case this week. We got beaten by the better team. Hands up, you know, Clemson, they look good. We did not look good. Uh, we couldn't get the ball rolling until the fourth quarter. We couldn't get things going. Karen Williams had a slow day, which is unlike him. Um, yeah, Ian Book needed to to be his best and he wasn't. That was the bottom line. Um, and and the better team won on the day. So it will be interesting to see them in the in the college final in a couple of in a couple of months starting in January when we smash Bama and uh, I roll on to Clemson part three. <laughs> It'd certainly be a good uh, advertisement for the ACC. To be fair, I mean, <laughs> I apart from uh, the early pick that Lawrence threw, I think the key was they just played a super clean game, right? They just yeah. didn't make any mistakes, made the correct reads, made the correct throws, made big plays. And like I say, Notre Dame just weren't able to do what they did in the first game. And like I say, just played to that really high level and just not match them, unfortunately. Yeah, but- it got out of hand in the second quarter. I've said all along, if it gets into a shootout, we lose. And that's what happened. We needed to keep pace with them in the second quarter and they got 17 points. We couldn't match that. We couldn't mm-hmm. keep up with them. And then the games then beyond um, our control, uh, which is, you know, the first game and the tighter games that we've had this year, they've been in our control. You know, they've been where we've been able to dictate the pace of the game, and dictate the, the flow of the game. Clemson took that away from us. Maybe that is the Trevor Lawrence factor. You know, it could well be. They took that away from us. They, you know, they were the better team. Hands up. I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. Trevor Lawrence was a big uh, factor, but I think another thing, uh, we were just talking about the coaches in the the Big 12 game, but I think one thing that helped massively for Clemson was that Notre Dame came up against the best defensive coordinator in college, Brent Venables. He made the adjustments. He, he mentioned Karen Williams getting taken out of the game. I mean, that was obviously priority. Like They made the adjustments that they needed to, like from, from quarter one, you could see that they were better. Uh, defensively and the pass rush looked really good, really clean from Clemson. Um, I think Brent Venables is a reason that, that Clemson were able to uh, to win the way they did um, in this one. And not a, not, a, not the battering that people kind of made it out to be either. I thought it was a bit unfair f- for people to say that this was done and ended Notre Dame season um, in terms of it was said after the game. Um, Notre Dame just, just couldn't keep up and got beaten by a better team but I wouldn't call it 
uh, as one-sided as some people are calling it. I think yeah. that it was, I think the first quarter was telling because I think we had a, we had a couple of chances early doors to go ahead. Um, missed a field goal. Um, you know, we could have converted. Had we had done that, had we have, like I just said a minute ago, dictated the pace, it could have been a different story. But we missed that field goal. We missed the opportunities to get ahead. And and yeah, we let them back in that big throw uh, bomb to, to Mario Rogers killed us. That's the, uh, the secondary. And I think the bottom line was the first game we kept Trevor, um, to Travis Etienne to about 29 yards, I think, rushing. This, obviously, this game, we couldn't contain him. 10 attacks for 124 yards and a touchdown. You know, that we what happened? What was so different from the first game there? Why couldn't we continue to, to stop Tra- Travis Etienne? And a big tick for him. And like we discussed a couple of weeks ago, Liam, when we were talking the running backs, and I said, Etienne needs to answer some questions for me. In the big games, man, he did that on, on Saturday. Yeah, I agree. I wrote exactly the same line in the article that we were mentioning. Like, this is this is yeah. uh, one thing because we know what Trevor Lawrence is going to do. We know what Trevor Lawrence is going to give you. But uh, Etienne from the first game, yeah, there was questions to be answered and he did. Definitely. Yeah, I think people are being a little bit unfair to Notre Dame especially after how well they played in their first game against Clemson. And I think that was probably the deciding factor more than uh, Trevor Lawrence, the fact that they managed to stop Travis Etienne on the ground because he is a massive part of that offense, whether you like it or not. I think, you know, if, if a quarterback goes 400 yards on you and doesn't win, then I don't think there's much more you can do at the quarterback position at that point. It's not like Rob said, Trevor Lawrence was going to come in and throw 700 yards and, seven touchdowns or whatever. They just couldn't get the ground going that going that game. And this game, Clemson got the ground game going. I think that was really the big deciding factor because on the ground, they could just move the ball at will and they could get five yards here and there just to make it a little bit easier for Trevor Lawrence. So he didn't have to make some of the throws that um, DJ you made. And, you know, the guy's still young. Still, so he, there was a bit more pressure on him but because Trevor Lawrence is obviously a lot more seasoned and they had a ground game going I think that was really the deciding factor was the ground game not necessarily Trevor Lawrence plus Clemson can game plan they knew they made if you watch the adjustments they made as opposed to the first game you could tell they'd feels like they have more time to prepare than Notre Dame yeah, I think that you both kind of, all three of you kind of touched on it. I thought it was really unfair in the fallout of this game that people were talking about as Notre Dame is not making the final four. When you've come through, you've won 10 games, you've beaten Clemson, and the only game that you've lost, albeit in the championship game, is to Clemson. And a lot of people say, nah, Notre Dame out now. It's like, what? <laughs> They've won 10 games and you want to put a yeah. six team, uh, six win Ohio State team in there. I think that, that pissed me off as well because like there was a lot of AM fans who were saying <laughs> yeah. you know, AM should be in. And I'm thinking, well, you've got a point. And I think they probably should have been in instead of Ohio State. But here's the bottom line. They lost they they their best win this year was Florida, who ended up being nine and three. They put up fifty to Bama. You know, the bottom line is in the regular season, Notre Dame didn't do that. You know, the worst we did was put up thirty-four to Clemson. Mm. So I think when you look at it that way. I couldn't see ND being out of the top four, but I was nervous. I was nervous. Saturday night, Sunday morning, I was nervous. I'm not going to lie. It's that SEC sort of bias, isn't it? Because Texas A&M's like, wins generally weren't against good teams. Like They lost, they, win, they won against a lot of poor yeah. teams. Yeah. Whereas, like you say, we've been talking up the ACC as well, quite a strong conference this year. And, you know, Notre Dame came through unscathed by this, this one game. 
yeah to, to be fair to the A&M fans I, I would have um, I put a tweet out I put them as number four but not at the expense of Notre Dame at the expense of uh, Ohio State um, and there, uh, yeah really good really good season for them and uh, just have to uh, wait and see how they get on in their bowl game now but in terms of um, yeah the top four yeah, Notre Dame well worth it mm. yeah I thought so um, just to, to finish off the larger championship games, obviously I know we touched on the small ones at the beginning. Obviously Ohio State did win, they beat Northwestern and that's all we're going to talk about about that one because as we fell out with them last week, um, we don't want to set Kieran off again. We'll fill that time with giving Kieran five minutes to talk about LSU as his treat to end the season. Yes! <laughs> the lefty legend! Pew pew! The freshman phenom! Pew pew! It's Max Johnson! Come on, guys. Did anyone watch this game? No, we were all watching championship games. Games that mattered. <laughs> <laughs> At least yeah, just I took was, it out of my mouth, yeah. Yeah, I was watching games that were for titles, yeah. It's like if there's, well, Premier, if there's Premier League action on, you don't watch League Two, do you? Come on now. This is a relegation battle. This mattered. Um, <laughs> yeah. Max Johnson. Pew, pew. 435 yards. Pew, pew. Three touchdowns and only one pick. He absolutely killed it. He has been fantastic since they've put him in as starters. I know I'm still on the train for TJ Finley, but I think Max Johnson is a better thrower of the ball and he's actually a little bit more... I'm not going to say he's faster or more athletic, but he's a little bit more sneaky the way he plays on the ground. He can really get out of that pocket quite well. The big talking point before we get to the five interceptions, DBU, uh, Kayshawn Boutte. I said last week, next man up, he's just performed and performed and performed. We lose Jamar Chase, arguably the best receiver in college football. I don't think that's an argument. We lose him. He opts out. Terrence... Rob, stop laughing. You know it's true. He... I was arguing that you said arguably, but it's not an argument. <laughs> yeah. Phrasing. Um, then we lose Terrence Marshall Jr., who stepped up as number one receiver and started breaking records. Then Keishon Butte stepped up 308 yards, three touchdowns, and now three, no, sorry, two of the top three SEC receiving yard records are held by LSU receivers. How do you like them apples? And then on defense, we were absolutely terrible besides five turnovers. Uh, Jace Ward, two picks jabril cox a pick ali gay a pick harris jr a pick we picked off old miss five times and still only won by five points so i think the lesson we learned from this lsu game is we're going to build a cannon that's going to be real big like <laughs> 20 foot long and we're going to stuff bo Pelini in it pop the end down fill it full of gunpowder and shoot that knobhead into the stratosphere i am done with him in a game where you have five interceptions three passing touchdowns and two rushing touchdowns you should not win by five points i've had enough dbu is still a thing we got five picks Teams don't do that regularly. And I know it was old Miss, but that's not the point. They had the same wins as us going into this game, all right? They, they, they honestly probably had a better record than this going in, than us going into this game because they had less losses. So, Bo Pelini will be gone because I think that's the talking point now because guys like Max Johnson and Keishon Butte and Palmer and all these guys 
who have have got to really step up their production now just to make it a five point game with Mississippi. Piss take. So, yeah, I, I think the biggest thing we can take for the season is no more Bo Pelini. I don't think he keeps his job unless, you know, maybe it's like how it is if you want to be the Jets head coach. You just have to be friends with Peyton Manning. Maybe he's just friends with Arch, a Bayou legend. Um, yeah, I, I just think as long as Bo Pelini is gone, we have all the building blocks to be the best team in college football again this year. We have a great nucleus of young talent. We have great quarterbacks, great receivers very average running backs and a great defense. So I, I think if, if this team makes the necessary improvements during spring camp, LSU are champions next year, baby. I feel it. And I'll make the same bet with Rob I did this year. And I'll make it again and again and again, because one win will taste, one win will be so sweet. It would erase the bitterness of five losses. So I am ready for the letter that I have to read, but just know Rob, that we will be the SEC champions this next year. We will be national champions next year. And there will be nothing you can do about that. Okay, buddy, if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the reaction we ought to have now. I'm gonna start putting you on the clock on these on these rants. Um yeah, it was Matt Corral though, wasn't it? I think you were kind of alluded to, to it yourself. That's it. Yeah, he's not very good, <laughs> is he? Bless him. Yeah. You know, the the best corral in America is Golden Corral, and that's because it's all you can eat. And, you know, Matt Corral is not on that level, even though he was all you could eat for our defense. But we won't talk about that anymore. (laughs) And we probably won't talk about LSU anymore this season because, you know, your season's over. We're going to be moving into bowl season. And kind of a nice little segue into that is just to talk about the New Year's Six Bowls. Obviously, we've got the playoff semifinals, Rose Bowl, Notre Dame, Alabama, and then Sugar Bowl is the scene that we don't mention. And Clemson, we're not going to have any Ohio State fans listening to the pod, are we? Um, actually, we forgot to mention, Trey Sermon played really well, 331 yards. So yeah. there you go. There's your Ohio State shout-out. Um, it was a bit bizarre but, considering Northwestern is usually so good against the run. I wasn't expecting that at all. Yeah. And the fact that Master Teague has been the better running back for them this year. But that's not too too much Ohio State. Yeah, we don't talk about Ohio State now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, no, some good some good other New Year's Six Bowl games. So we've got the Cotton Bowl, which is uh, Oklahoma versus Florida. Uh, Orange Bowl is Texas A&M versus UNC. And then we've got the Fiesta Bowl, Oregon versus Iowa State. So we've got a nice little slate there for the New Year's Six Bowls. Andy, who's your pick? What's your pick outside of the playoffs, out of the other, out of the other bowls there? What's your pick of the games that we've got? Uh, I like the Orange Bowl best, mate, to be honest. I think uh, A&M, uh, as we all alluded to, did uh, were unlucky to, to, to miss out on the on the playoffs. And, and UNC just look explosive uh, on the day, don't they? A couple of uh, mm. sloppy losses that really cost them this season, but there's a lot of uh, potential going on there. Uh, be interesting to see if the kind of draft-eligible backs uh, turn out for UNC. I've seen, uh, as you speak, there's been like lots of, um, a couple of, um, draft declarations and, and bowl opt-outs there so I uh, wonder if those guys will do that as well just to protect themselves but uh, if they don't then it'll be a, a proper ding-dong battle and it'd be good to to see in that the orange bowl the atmosphere and stuff normally uh, pretty good when that when the hard rock stadium is full down there and um, and at least they can have 14,000 odd fans in there so it should give it a bit, bit of life um, down there in South Florida. Yeah, for sure. Should be a should be a high scoring game, shouldn't it? If everyone if everyone plays. Um a couple of opt-outs. Carl Pitts, probably one that you were alluding to, we'll be talking about tomorrow. I'm sure Rob will can't wait for that one. Uh when we're talking about his guy up tight end. Um 
Kieran, what about yourself? What, what's your pick of the bowl games here? I am going to be watching Liberty versus Coastal Carolina because it's going to be... I don't care that they're small teams. I don't care that one's from the fun belt. It's going to be the most fun bowl game. Liam has been really championing these small teams this year and I respect the hell out of it because anyone who now listens to us, if they listen to Liam's recommendations, they know these small teams are where it's at. If you want a good, fun football game with turnovers, ridiculous touchdowns, this is the place to go. It's like junior college, but you can watch it on TV. You love to see it. So yeah, Liberty Coastal. Mullets hmm. versus fire. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it's got it's it's gonna play. One, one winner in that one, isn't there? <laughs> it, it, it's the, what is it? The Liberty Flames versus the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers or whatever the hell they're called. It sounds a bit too French for my taste, but the Flames well, versus... That should, be, the, that should be exactly what you're into. Surely it's well, like it's, Louisiana. It's fire versus teal chickens. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it, um, it, it was scheduled for the last game of regular season as well mm. and then had to be uh, changed around and moved because of COVID so it's great that they've managed to put it together again mm. Do you th- Liam you were saying the other day weren't you that you think that Coastal should have got a better ball game than this yeah I think that um, winning a conference championship would have been would have been the way to go and that and as it turned out they only Championship game cancelled was the Sun Belt, and I bet they're gutted because mm. they've, uh, yeah, they've missed the chance to. I mean, they would have gone twelve and zero as well, and um, Sun Belt champions. They would have, they would have, I think, been given something bigger. But then again, like uh, the Liberty game is going to be a really good game. I'm sure that uh, obviously it's going to be watchful. I think from their point of view, I'm sure they'll be really happy to play it. Mm. Okay. Coastal versus Cincy would have been a hell of a bowl game to make if they could, because they're very similar in ranking. I think, what, uh, 11th Coastal, I think their final position, and Cincinnati finished 8th or ninth. I think that would have been a great bowl game to make. Great, two great teams who this year have just exceeded every single expectation that has been laid out for them, especially in a COVID year. Both, you know, those teams matching up in a bowl game would have been a phenomenal game, and I think it honestly would have offered fireworks. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Talking I mean, we'll... of, uh, Coastal Carolina. I'm currently watching my App State Mountaineers beat North Texas. I, I believe that's being played on the teal field. I'm watching it now. It's a very green uh, teal field, so I'm assuming it's being played at uh, Coastal Carolina's home. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, we've got a couple. Of, Karen, you kind of mentioned it there. We've got a kind of couple of bowl games in the New Year Six that are kind of teams that are next to each other in the rankings. I wonder if they're almost kind of trialing the longer playoff and a, a bigger playoff series. Obviously couldn't do it this year, but yeah, Cincinnati, Georgia, eight versus nine and Oklahoma, Florida is six versus seven. Um, that, uh, yeah, the Cincinnati, Georgia game should be a good one. I know you just mentioned that Cincinnati maybe would have been a good one to play against Coastal, but I feel like yeah, Georgia and Cincinnati will be their big game that they can see if, you know, as we mentioned before, can Cincinnati hang with the, the big dogs? Yeah, I think the, the, yeah, the way they've set out, I think is they are almost trialing, expanded playoffs i think uh a&m and north carolina we mentioned before the pod was going to be an incredibly fan like fascinating game and then you have some games between smaller teams that could still be interesting like tcu arkansas arkansas uh ball state versus san jose state which is one that liam mentioned that's obviously going to be a crazy game but then oklahoma florida and cincinnati georgia these are going to be games that the teams are close in rankings i think 
the Cincinnati game especially is going to be closer than anyone expected because mm. obviously Georgia has like some struggles at quarterback and Cincinnati's defense has been very, very good against the pass. Uh, yeah, I think the way they've set it up, they are almost trialing this because it, it makes sense to expand it when you've got so many good teams in the top 10 who year after year aren't getting a lookout just because of the strength of schedule BS that we see every single year. Um, won't mention Ohio State strength of schedule, but you see these uh, strength of schedule arguments being made a lot. And now you're going to see teams like Cincinnati play against big SEC teams like Georgia. And you're going to see Texas A&M and North Carolina that are from, you know, like, Texas A&M is from probably the best conference in college football, but North Carolina's very, very good in in an arguably very good conference as well in the ACC. So I think I think actually Oklahoma Florida be the most exciting game because I think they're the most what the teams have. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting bowl season for sure, and I'm going to try and catch as many as possible. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think obviously we'll be covering that um, next week onwards. Robin Lee, what about you? What, what about you guys? What ball games are you uh, looking forward to catching over the next few weeks? Yeah, the the Oklahoma Florida one is the one that stands out to me. I, like Cincinnati are going to enjoy playing Georgia. Opportunity for the defense to kind of show what they can do. Actually, opportunity for the offense to show what they can do as well. I think Oklahoma again a, a sneaky, really tough challenge for Florida. I think I wouldn't be surprised that Florida made kind of maybe double digit favorites for that but um i think oklahoma have got got a lot that they can offer florida kyle pitts opting out is big oklahoma's secondary has been sneaky good this season i mentioned uh trey norwood um trey brown both getting turnovers their pass rush is good um they'll give they'll give florida and and of course the offense against florida's secondary that's been a little bit suspect um i think that they'll they'll give them a they'll give them a really Sneaky good game. Yeah, Alex Grinch is another good good coordinator. I mentioned Brent Venables, but not on his level, but definitely a really good coordinator. Doesn't have a lot to work with on defense usually with Oklahoma, but usually mm. over the past couple of years has got a tune out of them. For Thank sure, you. definitely, yeah. Oh, oh do, do you guys... So obviously some years players opt out for bowl games. Do you think it makes more sense for players to opt out of bowl games in a year where there's going to be an asterisk next to it? Or do you think that's... You know, you think that's a non-issue at this point? Get away with it more this year, won't you? Yeah, I was just thinking because if you, if you're a a guy like Kyle Pitts or whatever, who's obviously a massive prospect, and you go in first round, no matter what, do you play this extra game and risk injury for a bowl championship with an asterisk next to it, or do you just say, "Hey, I'm gonna sit out and focus, give myself some extra time to prepare for the NFL draft"? I think when you've got guys who've sat out the full season. It definitely doesn't look like the bigger crime, does it? So you'll get away with it for sure. Rob, last one then, just to come to you lastly. Um, which ball game are you looking forward to seeing the most in the next few weeks? Um, I've got a top three rank. So Rose Bowl, obviously, um, Notre Dame, Bama. Hmm. Um, Orange Bowl, uh, Texas A&M, North Carolina. I'm looking forward to watching that. Um, and the 
Boca Raton Bowl, which is a UCF versus BYU. I think it's going to be a very interesting game. Um, obviously, BYU having a fantastic season. Uh, UCF, we know, is a strong um, team, um, non-Power 5 team. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a very good game, that one to watch. Uh, and my honourable mention is what I'm literally sitting here watching now, like I mentioned before, um, App State against North Texas. Um, it's, a, it's looking like a good game, to be honest. Hmm. Yeah, the Boca Raton Bowl, definitely really, really good shout. Obviously, some nice... Uh tape on Zach Wilson that we'll be looking forward to uh, later down the line. Yep. So yeah, no, as I said before, we'll be covering these ball games and much more in the next few weeks. Um, but yeah, well, I think we'll leave it there for today. Uh, check us back with, uh, talk about some tight ends tomorrow on the scouting podcast. Uh, we'll just move around the table, give out some handles and we'll get out of it. Andy, we'll come to you first. Where can we find you? Much more positive, or much more positive uh, Dolphins chat, I'm sure, over on the other pod. That's it, mate. Yeah, Dolphin uh, UK underscore pod there. Uh, nine and five, and looking to the uh, looking to the playoffs. Although there's only a, we we are still less than fifty percent uh, chance of getting in due to probably the hardest two games left out of anyone. So yeah, lots to break down there, and uh, and a good pod again this week. So check that out. And uh, I'm on AJ Moore twenty one as well, but uh, that's mainly moaning about Birmingham City at the moment. So <laughs> probably stay clear of that. Kevin, <laughs> <laughs> what about yourself? Where can we find you? I'm at DCCYT Football. You can hear me talking about Max Pew Pew Johnson <laughs> and actually just hating on the Patriots and giving the Miami uh, Dolphins and the Bills their props. Absolutely. Liam, what about yourself? Uh, you can find me at Liam66NFL. Uh, loads of NFL stuff, loads of college football stuff. Come and celebrate the Seattle Seahawks making another postseason. Come and enjoy uh, scouting stuff for the next NFL draft and also the fact that we're now into bowl season. Absolutely. Yeah, a lot, lot going on. Yeah, Seattle sneaky under the radar. Season really, really well. Mm. But not, not Rams, getting the hype. Rams slipping up helps us take the NFC West again, which I'm sure we will. Mm. Yeah, and the Jags as well. And last but not least, Rob, what about yourself? Uh, yeah, you can find me at FF Brit Baller, uh, where I talk wax lyrical about Indianapolis Colts because we're going to the postseason, hopefully. Um, and Norwich, who are top of the league and pulling away. And Notre Dame, who are in the top four. It's been a good season for me so far. <laughs> it's been a good, uh, good sport in 2020. I mean, everything else has been shit, but you know. Um, and yeah, you can find me on NFL UK, um, educating people about Notre Dame football. <laughs> I'm you sure can have a kid as well, Rob. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! The kid as well. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks for that, Kieran. Yeah, I did have a child as well, so it's been a really good year. <laughs> that, that is fantastic. Oh, <laughs> gotta keep that in. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well. <laughs> oh god! I'm glad my wife doesn't listen to this. And <laughs> yeah, I'll move on. I'll move on quickly, Rob, to end the podcast for your sake. And you can catch me, Lee Wakefield, at Wakefield ninety. Um, Chargers winning games actually as well so quite an optimum in the books for me as well but yeah we'll see you tomorrow for the Scouting Podcast we'll be talking some tight ends uh, we'll see you we'll see you then take care Thanks for listening to the podcast for all your football needs check out our website full10yards.com or follow us on Twitter at full10yardscfb and remember keep those eyes peeled